Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Well, good morning, church. That's a good response. My name is Paul Prince. I get to read the scripture today. So you know we're in the book of John. Today we're going to be John 3, verses 22 through 36. And I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. So John 3, 22 through 36 reads as follows. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about and who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, No one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase and I must decrease. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's word, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Can y'all hear me okay? All right. I just uh, real quick went through the uh, emotional turmoil of leaving a son in a classroom who's crying because he wants you. Oh, man. That doesn't feel good. <laughs> um, my wife and my kids are down in North Carolina. My twin brother and his wife are expecting a baby in June. So they're, the women are, women are getting together for a shower. And uh, it's boys weekend this weekend for Isaac and I. So he's still alive, which is success on my part, right? Uh, if you didn't open your Bibles yet, John 3 is where we're at. And, and goodness, guys, I, I, I was just thinking this morning, uh, just in praying for us, uh, just how incredible a privilege it is to be able to open God's word with you. Um, and, and to let it shape and mold us. And, and this is an incredible privilege uh, and an honor to be able to, to be a part of this. Now, I will tell you, uh, let me tell you where we're at and where we're going. This is the last Sunday that we're going to be in the Gospel of John in the spring, okay? And some of you are probably like, man, it's about time, right? <laughs> We've been in it for a while, and we're only in chapter 3, right? So we've, uh, we've, this is week 16, 
and uh, we're finishing up chapter 3 today, and we're going to take a break for the summer. In fact, we've got plans this summer for a sermon series called Summer Psalms, and we're just going to spend the summer orienting our hearts around songs of praise and prayers of lament. We've got a few different preachers who are going to be preaching through the psalms. I'll be preaching several of my favorite psalms as well, but that's what the summer's going to be all about, and we're kicking that off next Sunday with a special service, so make sure you're here for that, but for now, why don't we just, uh, why don't we just pray? Why don't we ask the Lord to, to aid our study of his word? Holy Spirit, we believe that you fill us uh, and that a primary function that you serve in our hearts is to, ins- in- to illuminate your word, uh, to shine light on the things that we don't understand so that we might understand them. And so we pray, Jesus, right now for every single one of us here that your spirit, that Holy Spirit, you would illuminate our hearts to your word uh, so that ultimately your work would be accomplished in our lives because, God, we want to be utmostly satisfied in you alone. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, uh, have you, how many of you have heard the phrase American dream? The American dream. Show of hands. If you haven't heard it, that's not too surprising. It's kind of fading per se, but, but many years ago, for the last few decades, it's been a pretty constant ethos in uh, the United States, right, in our country. And, and just to make sure we're all on the same page, uh, the American dream is this set of ideals in which our freedoms as Americans includes the opportunity for prosperity and success regardless of your background, regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of your history, no matter who you are, you can reach it. You can reach the dream, right? Now, when I, if you come up and you greet me and I say, I'm living the dream, uh, I'll, I'll say that usually. I'm not referring to this dream, right? I'm referring to a different dream, but but let's just keep going with this for a second. So, so this American dream uh, has become like a cultural thing for us. And, and what it means then is that we as a society, especially those outside the church, celebrate those sorts of people who have started with nothing and made it all the way to fame and wealth. We typically tend to uh, celebritize those sorts of people, don't we? Steve Harvey's one of them. Right? You can go tune into his story, or, or one of the ones that probably might be more familiar with you is the Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Have you, you know him, right? Yeah, you do know him, right? Most likely. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's one of the most well-known celebrities today, right? Uh, he's pretty much putting out five movies every year, apparently, or something like that. Uh, but did you know he came from being evicted from the island of Hawaii with multiple arrests and only $7 to his name? And now he's worth what? $320 million, the last estimates say? $320 million from nothing. I can tell you that a lot of people admire that sort of story because you can go watch it on YouTube and you can see millions and millions of people have tuned into it. Over $20 million, in fact. But you know what happens whenever we look at stories like that is it, it, it does something to us, right? It, does, it, can, it can do something within our hearts. It can become what I would call a benchmark, right? It's a benchmark. It's something to get after, something to strive for, that, that level of success, something to, to go after. And if it becomes a benchmark, especially that level, then you know what that means for us? It means there's always more to do, always more to have, and always more to become. Always more. It's always more. Always more to to do, always more to have, 
and always more to become. If that's the benchmark, so there's, there's always a need for more exercise. Ooh, right? Always a need for more exercise, more job satisfaction, right? more money, more followers on social media, more, more influence, more success, more wealth, more fame, more popularity. In other words, that kind of lifestyle is defined by one word, increase. It's increase. Right? It's constant, never-ending increasing of what you do, increasing of what you have, increasing of what you're becoming. And guys, I can tell you that that sort of lifestyle is emotionally, mentally, and I would even say morally exhausting. It really is. What if I told you that that you're never actually going to find true rest in, in what we would refer to as the American dream? What if I told you that you're never going to tr- find true joy or, or ultimate rest in having a massive following of people who celebrate your name? Or in living the American dream? What if I told you that true rest is actually found in the opposite perspective? Not of increase, but of, of decrease. Now, when I say decrease, I'm not talking about watching HGTV and then becoming a minimalist, Right? That's not what I'm talking about when we talk about decrease, though minimalism has a certain appeal to it, right? You don't have half as much to keep up with. But when I'm talking about decrease, I'm talking about like just knowing your limits, knowing deep down who you are and who you aren't, not concerning yourself with the wealth and the success of people around you or the possessions that people have around you and simply just focusing on really just being formed into one person, one thing. Guys, I'm going to tell you, you've already heard God's word read. I'm going to tell you that John the Baptist, who we've been calling Johnny B, right? He's going to show us today that that sort of lifestyle is actually a really joyful way to live. And it's counterintuitive. So, so let's just get into the text, right? I'm going to break it down into three sections. I wouldn't outline your notes in this way. It's just the text seems to be a way, the, the, the way we can outline it. So the first would be the situation. What, what's going on? What do we got? What's the sitch, right? We, that's verses 22 through 26. And then following that, we've got the statement, right? And this is the statement that Johnny B's going to make in response to the situation. And then finally, John the Apostle comes in with what we're calling, I'm calling the summation, right? So we've got the situation, the statement, and the summation. Nothing too fancy. Yes, there's alliteration because you know that's what pastors do. So what's the situation? Well, first, you've got to remember that Johnny B. is really having this influential and popular ministry, sometimes edgy, uh, effective ministry out in the wilderness, right? And he's baptizing people. He's getting them ready for the kingdom of God to come. And, and, and Jesus, on the other hand, he's in Jerusalem, right? He's just in Jerusalem. And he and his disciples, they head out to the boondocks in Judea, right? And they start baptizing people. They start to baptize people, though, though we know John chapter 4 verse 2 says that Jesus never baptized anyone, or else they might boast, right? No, it was his disciples. But, but they're out there baptizing. Jesus and his posse are baptizing, and it turns out that more people are starting to go to Jesus than they are to John. They're starting to flock towards Jesus away from Johnny B., 
And so as this is happening, a disagreement comes up between a, a Jew and John the Baptist's followers. And, and, and that should point us uh, back to, the, 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 the dispute was about purification. And that should point us back to the wedding at Cana in John 2. We're not going to have time to talk about that today. But, but, but when we're, we're thinking about it, it really it ultimately probably boils down to the fact that Jesus was baptizing. And that's what the dispute's over. And so Johnny B's disciples... They come up to Johnny B, John the baptizer, and and they start complaining to him. They complain to him, and this is where that pressure for success and popularity and fame just sneaks right in. This is basically, this is a paraphrase of, of what the dispute or the complaint is about. Hey, Jesus is getting more recognition than you are. He's doing the same thing you're doing. And he's getting all the attention. Everyone's going to him and not to you. How could Jesus do this to you? You're the forerunner, right? You're John the baptizer. It's literally your last name. And yet he's doing it. He's Jesus the Christ. So the situation, probably as simple as it can get, is this. That Jesus is getting more recognition and more influence. And Johnny B's following and influence is shrinking. Our culture would probably say that Johnny B is no longer trending. He's no longer viral. Just to be clear, viral doesn't mean sick these days, right? <laughs> and how does Johnny B respond to that? His disciples are like, man, Jesus is doing this. To you. Man, bro, come on. And Johnny B's response, just listen to what he says. Just, let's just look at the first sentence in his statement. This is where we get to Johnny B's statement. Verse 27. No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. He's not defending himself. <laughs> He's not bitter. He gives this wildly simple truth. No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. So John E.B. is thinking of his life. He's thinking of his ministry. He's thinking of his own following, his groupie. that They're following him. And, and in thinking of all of this, this is what he says. He says, what I have, what I've been able to do, who I've been able to influence, they've all come from God, not from me. I've done nothing to deserve this. Guys, talk about a, a way to, to clear up the deeply rooted convictions that, that really clear up our egos, don't they? Nothing comes from our own hands. I would encourage you to memorize that. Memorize it. Memorize the fact I cannot receive anything unless it's given to me by God. And then think about that as you head to the grocery store and you start taking stuff off the shelf. Oh, I can't get this unless God grants it to me. Right? Oh, that breath, can't get that unless God gives it to me. Just think about that. Apply it into everything. Because when he says everything, does it mean everything? Or does it mean some things? Does everything mean everything here? Are we awake? Does everything mean everything? It means everything. So, I'm a self-made man. I've done this all on my own. There's no room for that in the Christian perspective on life. 
whatever you have in your life, whatever good things you have, ultimately it isn't because you've deserved it or you've earned it. It's simply because God gave it to you as a gift. And the sooner you and I can accept that reality about any kind of possession, any kind of experience, anything that we ultimately go through, when we get to that place, then, then you and I might be able to get to the place where King David got when he said, man, the boundaries of my life have fallen for me in beautiful places. Surely what I have is good. And that's what Johnny B is saying here about his own life, about his own, his own ministry. I mean, and, and look at what else he says here. It's, he says some things that we heard back in, in chapter 1, and, and, and he, 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 ref, he also then refers to a wedding, a wedding illustration about a groom and a bride and what we would call a best man. So look at verse 28 and 29. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him which he's quoting from John 1, verse 29. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So we're going to explore this wedding illustration that, that Johnny B. gives in just a few minutes. But, but in summary, right, John is saying that none of what I've done has ever even been about me in the first place. It's always been about Christ. It's always been this Jesus who's been identified as the Christ. So, so I know my place in his story. And I'm preparing the way for the world to get to him. I'm preparing the world for all that he is. And so it's at this point where actually we're going to jump down to verses 31 through 36 because John the Apostle breaks out from narrative and adds his own uh, statement, and, and I'm, we're calling it the summation. It's a summary of a lot of key concepts throughout John 1 through 3, things that we've already talked through and discussed, and it's a summary of all that Jesus is. It's everything that Jesus is ultimately uh, described in this text in verses 31 through 36, and it's like Johnny B., and John the Apostle are working together to really tell us all that Jesus is so that we can also know our place too. That we would know his place so that we can know our place. And both work together to show us why Jesus deserves to be preeminent in our lives above all things. So you want to know your place in the world? You want to know Jesus' place in the world. This is what Johnny B. and John the Apostle says. Let's, let's look at verse 31 through 36. We've already read it. Let me tell you three main points from the passage that John seems to be giving. First, Jesus is above all. Can you read that for me? One, two, three. Jesus is above all. So look at verse 31. The one who comes from above, a.k.a. Jesus, is above all. And then if you read in the same verse, he says this same thing, just slightly different. The one who comes from above, or sorry, from heaven, is above all. So he says it twice. Jesus is above all. So, so you and I, we're earth people. We're earth people. We came from dust and to dust we go. Right? That's the saying. 
Jesus literally came down from heaven, and Jesus stands above everything that exists. In other words, nothing takes preeminence over him. He's first among all. Nothing goes above him. Ephesians 1 puts it this way. It says that he is above all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion and every name that can be named. Think of a name. Probably the most powerful person that you can think of. And he is subjected to Jesus. There's no one higher than Jesus. He is above all. And then we see a second truth in this passage, verse 31 through 36. Jesus has it all. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Jesus has it all. Check out verse 33 and 34. The one who has accepted Jesus' testimony has affirmed that God is true. In other words, in other words, Jesus has the testimony that is true. Everything that Jesus says about God is true. Look at verse 34. For the one whom God sent, which is Jesus, speaks God's words. So Jesus has God's word. Oh my goodness. And then keep going. Since Jesus, or since he gives the spirit without measure. He can't give the spirit without measure unless he has the spirit without measure. In other words, Jesus is and has everything. God didn't just give Jesus a plate from the menu at the restaurant called the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. God gave Jesus the full unlimited access to the Spirit of God. And then check out verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Huh. Literally, everything that the Father possesses has been given over to the authority of Jesus. Jesus has absolutely everything. So, we saw that Jesus is above all, Jesus has it all, and then thirdly, Jesus arbitrates all. Have fun saying that one. Let's say it together. One, two, three. Jesus arbitrates all. In other words, Jesus determines it all. Jesus decides it all. Your your views and your opinions about who Jesus is determines everything about you and everything about your future and everything about eternity. Verse 32, look at it. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. This is Jesus speaking about heaven, which he came from, coming from God, which is what we saw in verse 33 and 34. Jesus comes from above, and he's speaking the words of God, the truth that God has given to him, such that to receive Jesus' word is to receive God's word. And in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is the deciding factor. Right? Your eternity is determined ultimately by him and him alone. And, and by the way, just so we're not uh, all up in arms about saying that, that whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, obedience to the Son means listening to what he's commanded, which is to believe. So to not obey means to fail to believe. So, belief is preeminent above all of this. So, so Johnny B's life here is to prepare the way for the one who is above all, the one who has it all, and the one who arbitrates it all. This is Johnny B's life, which then totally makes sense why he would say what he would say. In verse 27, right? I can't receive anything in my life if it's not given to me from heaven. It makes sense because Jesus is the one who has it all. 
And then when he talks about how Jesus has taken the central purpose of his life, makes sense. Because Jesus is, 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 he arbitrates all. He's above all. And it's why in verse 29, if you look there, verse 29, Johnny B. says that he who has the bride is the groom. He who has the bride is the groom. Guys, what does that mean? Those people who were leaving Johnny B. to go follow Jesus and are flocking to Jesus, they're the bride. They're they're the bride. And Jesus is the groom, not John. In other words, all of history, all of history is one big story about a hero who gave his life to save his future bride from utter destruction. And the wedding celebration is coming. <laughs> and Johnny B, he knew that well. He knew that Jesus had come for his bride. And that all Johnny B's role was is to be the best man what we might call the best man. Right? That's, that's Johnny B's role. Jesus is the groom, his church is the bride, and Johnny B, nope, mm, he's the best man. What we might call it that. You see, back then, back then a, a friend of the bridegroom, a friend of the groom is the one who organized a lot of the details of the wedding in conjunction with the groom. And, and uh, the, the, the best man or the friend of the groom's responsibility at the end of the day was to make sure the groom got his bride. <laughs> As that's our place. That's Johnny B's place. We're friends of the groom. Which means history isn't about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not like, here's me and, and here's the world just doing its thing all around me because it revolves around me. That's not it. We're not God. You're not a functional Savior. Right? We're, we're not the point for other people's existences. Other people don't exist for us. But you know, it's really easy for us to live that way, isn't it? Really easy. Find it in a marriage, yep. You find it in how a parent parents a child, absolutely. That child can exist for that parent. Find it in friendships, absolutely. There's ways that we can too easily, too often, make the purpose of things about us, about our existence, about our fame, about our comforts, about our pleasures, And we can make other people's existences be for our pleasure. Like, when we do that, it's pretty much Jesus is at the altar with his bride. And he's he's going after her. And we're just, we're tapping Jesus on the shoulder and saying, nah, this, you you gotta go. This is, they're about me now. You can can be the best man at my wedding. this This is all about me. That's essentially what we're doing when, when we live with the kind of uh, perspective that everything revolves around us, around me. We're trading places with Jesus at his wedding. Guys, can you, can you imagine that on a wedding day? Like imagine if you were watching a wedding, right? And that happened to the groom. This isn't the Springer show, right? Like that, that would end up on the Jerry Springer show, wouldn't it? But, but my goodness, the, 
The best man doesn't leave the wedding with the bride. The groom does. Duh. That was a little hard. Like, that's insane. And yet, when we put our fame, our success, our exaltation as front and center for the reason of our lives and the reason of other people's lives, then we're fighting with Jesus to switch places. That we would be the groom and he would be the best man. He's the nice addition to the story of our lives. That's not the way that Johnny B. understood faith in Christ. That's not, that's not what John the baptizer understood when, when he said, like, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Messiah, I'm here for him. Jesus is preeminent. Johnny B. knew his place. He knew his place in Jesus' story. And it's the same place that you and I need to find ourselves or put ourselves and stay in. And it's simply this, and I don't mean any offense by this, but our place, Jesus' shadow. Do you understand that? Picture that. Spotlights on Jesus. You and I, his shadow. We're in his shadow. We ought to be in his shadow. It's Jesus that should be standing in the, the realm of light. It's, it's his name that belongs up on the billboards and in the flashing lights. And that's why we get to a verse that has uh, probably been very easy to memorize because of the concept, but very difficult to like actually walk in and, and find joy in in some ways. But it's a verse that's deeply influenced my life, and it's verse 30. Did you see it? It's in the, Johnny B.'s last words that we know. Verse 30, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. He must increase, I must decrease. Do you realize that this is why God sent John the baptizer? This, this was God's plan for Johnny B. To, to gather a whole bunch of people and then give them up. To, to, to rise like a fire in the wilderness and then flicker out. That's the plan. <laughs> and John knows it. And he didn't feel any kind of slight towards the fact that his popularity, his influence was waning. No, he rejoiced that Christ's fame was spreading. That the following was going to Jesus. Because Johnny B is focused on the kingdom of God. He didn't try to expand his own ministry or his own influence. No, he was content to go where God called him to be faithful with the mission that he was sent for. And in every day, Johnny B, he subjected his ego and his plans to God's. And then once Jesus emerged, the masses Paid less attention to Johnny B. And because Jesus must increase, Johnny B decreased. Guys, do you know how John the Baptist's story goes? You know how it ends? Verse 24 at the start kind of hinted at it. It said that it, all of this, this, this dispute, the situation, Johnny's statement, all of it happened before he was arrested and imprisoned. Said since he had not yet been thrown into prison. Like Johnny B didn't even get this glorious death where he's like 
double choke slamming two people into the river, baptizing them, and then somebody takes them out? Like, he doesn't get that. No, you know what he gets? You know what Johnny B, how he goes? He's in jail, and he's beheaded by a wicked king, amused by the dancing of his, the daughter of his brother's wife that the king had been sleeping with. Guys, from a worldly perspective, that's just, that's failure. That's failure. His ministry just flickered out after just a few years. But, but John said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Because, you know, John knew his place in the world. He knew his place was in Jesus' shadow. And how did that make Johnny B feel? <laughs> to have his life end that way. Well, look at verse 29. The groom's friend who stands by and listens for the groom rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. <laughs> this joy of mine is complete. Why? Huh. Because the groom is getting all the attention. It's because the cameras are all flashing in that direction. It's because the rice is all flying in that direction. Nobody is glancing back at the silenced voice of the best man sitting on the church steps with a grin on his face because he knows his job is done. No, the, the groom's voice is calling and the bride is following and Johnny B is showing us that the greatest glories and joys in this life are not in receiving the attention or the fame or the popularity, but in funneling it all to Jesus. Guys, this right here is the loudest statement that Johnny B has made with his life. It wasn't in the number of his followers. It, it, it was in how he responded when his followers abandoned him to go follow Jesus. As John came alive as the nobody next to Jesus. And that satisfied his soul fully. So that's, that's what I want to leave you here with today. That's the truth. This amazing concept that, that is unique to the Christian perspective. Why, why is it best for us to see our place in Jesus' shadow? Well, because the truth is this. Full joy is found in self-effacing faithfulness, not self-exalting fame. True joy Full joy, you better write that down by the way. Full joy is found in self-effacing faithfulness, not in self-exalting fame. You know what the word efface means? It means to erase a mark from a surface. So when, when Jesus becomes greater in the world and you and I become lesser in the world, your joy actually increases. When this happens, 
It frees us to joyfully accept who God has made us and called us to be. It also even transforms our relationships with other people around us who might have a little bit more than us. It even frees us up to love those and celebrate how he's gifted them, how he's called them, how he's placed them and others in our own lives. Guys, we no longer feel like we have to measure up to other people's successes. No, God has a plan for your life and he has plans for success for you. I'm not talking American dream popularity or or prosperity. I'm talking this. He must increase. We must decrease. We're going to be in a place where we no longer feel like we have to measure up to other people's successes. And even when we start to struggle with our own comparison to other people and and their possessions and wealth and and their successes and their accolades, goodness, no, 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 this sort of perspective, this sort of mentality, when we're willing to say, I must decrease, Jesus must increase, it's all been about him, it frees us up. And so when we're struggling, when we're, we're comparing, when, when, when other people have, have produced more measurable fruit in their lives than us or for, than me, then, then I would just take a little gander over at what Mother Teresa said. She said this, God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. God did not call us to be successful. I don't, I don't see that in a worldly perspective in here anywhere. But he, goodness, did he call us to be faithful. Guys, let me just say this. Success is not a benchmark. Success is a blessing. Influence is not a benchmark. It's a blessing. Leadership is not a benchmark. It's a blessing. The, the key to the Christian life is to rejoice in whatever ministry we've been given. So if we have influence, if we have leadership, if we have popularity... There you go. Sure, you've got something. No, leverage it for the renown of Christ. Point those people to Jesus in how you manage your people and how you lead your people in the things that you celebrate with your people. Point them all to Jesus. But if we often, or if we end up finding ourselves in a situation in life where our following, where our influence, where our popularity is actually waning. (laughs) This kind of perspective and that kind of mission means that we won't question our worth in Christ. Because we'll have found it in Him alone because our lives were meant for Him anyways. And our goal in life is not to make our names look great and get them up in lights. It's to make Jesus' name great. And so John the baptizer, he knew the joy. He knew the freedom of being found in Jesus' shadow. Do you? There's a quote that I came across back in high school, which was about 16 years ago. I had to do the math this morning. It's a quote that has been on my walls, in my home, it's been in my Bibles, and it's simply this. Preach the gospel. Die. Be forgotten. (laughs) 
That's nice and warm and cozy, isn't it? You want to go cuddle up with that quote, don't you? Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. That's actually what's going to be on my, uh, my tombstone. I hope. Caitlin, if you're watching, that's what I want. Now, some of you might not connect with that, but you might connect with the song that has come out by a, a pretty well-known band called Casting Crowns, and it's a song called Only Jesus, and it says this. It's a song that I've actually finally was like, finally a song that connects with my heart deeply, right? It says this, make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself. Dream your dreams, chase your heart above all else. Make a name the world remembers, <laughs> But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the lie that it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. Verse 2 says, All the kingdoms built and all the trophies won will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really matters is did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? And the chorus, oh man, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. It's only Jesus. I've only got one life to live. I'm going to let every second point to him. Only Jesus. Why? Because we live in his shadow. And at the end of the day, when my life is over and people are talking at my memorial service, I'll consider it an incredible joy if all they're doing is talking about the Jesus that I lived for and loved. Really don't care about leaving a legacy. Just care about leaving people with Jesus. So what about you? Are you willing to take a back seat? willing to say that I'm not going to make my life about me. And not about my fame, not about my success. I'm not going to look to the fame and success of others and envy it. No, I'm just going to, I'm going to walk in Jesus' shadow right into the courtroom of heaven. Because everything about me is all about him. Guys, I'm telling you, that kind of life, those kinds of convictions are where full joy in this life is waiting. You're not going to find it if you must increase and he must decrease. You'll only find it if he increases and you decrease. So would you bow your heads at this time? Because it's, it's becoming an obvious thing to me here and now that there's some people who are being convicted by this and, and they're realizing that they've, they've had the, the, the priorities and the authorities of their lives rearranged by God's word this morning. And so just bow your heads and if there's some things that you need to talk to Jesus about, I would do that now. And, and it can look like anything that you're being convicted by, but, but maybe it needs to be something like, Jesus, I have... I have been in the driver's seat of my life for way too long, and man, have I made a mess of it. I want you to be preeminent. I want you to be above all because you are. I'm tired of the way that I'm living. I'm tired of going after success and wealth and popularity. 
and recognition. I just want my life to be about you, Jesus. I want people to see you and me. It's time between you and the Lord now, so I would take it. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.